to be with everybody tonight. I am so glad Big House is back. I look forward to Wednesdays. I love being with this group of people. Um, my name is Christina. I'm one of the youth directors at Nazareth Lutheran Church. And I did some math the other day and realized this is my eighth year of Big House. And this past summer was my 10th caravan. So it's been a couple years being a part of high school ministry. Um, and these have been really good years. They've gone by really fast. And I know there's a lot of other things you guys could all be doing tonight. So thank you for being here. Thank you for being a part of Big House. I think this is a pretty great group of people. Um, before we really get going tonight, does anybody need a Bible? I want to get those passed out because we're going to be using those tonight. If we have some awesome leaders that would grab some of those and get passed out, I think we've got people with their hands up. Thanks, Whitney. Okay, is everybody getting some? Because we're going to be in those in a little bit later tonight. I think we have plenty of Bibles available. Looks like a couple more people need them. Okay, I think you guys are getting those. So we are in the third week of this Restart series. And the whole premise behind this series is that everything has a starting point. And faith has a starting point. Now a lot of us heard about faith at some point in our childhood. Uh, maybe it was a parent or a grandparent that talked to you about God or took you to church on a Sunday morning or a holiday. Maybe it was a friend that invited you to VBS in the summer or invited you to chaos as a seventh grader. Somehow a lot of us heard about faith at some point in our childhood. But then a couple years later, we have grown up. And I think a lot of you are finding yourself in this place um, where there seems to be kind of a growing difference between what you heard about God as a child and some of the tough realities you are facing in your day-to-day -day life. So then we start having questions and we start having doubts. And sometimes the answers we get to those questions are not really good, are not very satisfactory, and our faith can get lost a little bit. So what we've done in this series is ask, what would it look like to start all over? What would it look like to restart our faith right now, to restart your faith right now as a high school student, as a freshman, as a sophomore, trying to get the hang of high school life? Um, as a junior, already super overwhelmed with schoolwork, or as a senior, knowing graduation feels like it's coming fast and college probably is coming really fast after that. What would it look like to restart your faith? And how do you restart your faith in the middle of your parents getting a divorce? Or a scary medical diagnosis? Or some unexpected loneliness because your friend group just completely fell apart this summer? Or maybe everything in your life feels like it's happened really easily, but you've never really stopped to think what it means for you to have your own personal faith. What would it look like to start all over? Now in this series, we're asking lots of questions and we're really building and building off of each other each week. So if tonight is your first night at Big House, I would really encourage you to go online to our website and listen to the last two weeks because you really need all the pieces of this to come together in the end and really help you understand um, what we're talking about with restarting your faith. So I hope you guys check that out. 
Because two weeks ago, Elliot made a comment um, that we don't usually think about faith having a starting point. And another thing we don't really think about is that the story of our faith has a starting point. Meaning every major faith tradition um, has a starting point and has a story behind it. But a lot of us really don't care about that. We don't really care about history lessons and we don't really care about the story behind our faith tradition. Because when it comes to faith and to God, I think our questions aren't so much like, how did this begin? Or who was the founder? Or what was the year? Or what was happening in the time period? I don't think those are really our questions. We're looking for the here and the now, and we want to know what God can do for us right now. Because you've got a big game coming up, and you want to know if God's on your side and going to help you win the game. Or tomorrow you've got a really big test and you're bargaining with God to get that good grade that you just really want. Or you know the homecoming dance is coming up and you just want to date for that dance and you're hoping God's going to make that happen for you. We want to know if God's going to be there when we need him. And we want to know what he's going to do for us. At least I do. And in the middle of our bargaining and our questions, we can actually start to drift a little bit and get lost in our faith because we don't know something that's really important. And that's the history, the story behind our faith tradition. So we're going to go back in time a little bit to talk about this story, this starting point, because it actually connects to some of these questions and struggles that we have with our faith today. Now, there are really like three major faith traditions, um, Islam, Judaism, and Christianity. And I don't know if you realize this, but they all claim the same starting point. And all of those faith traditions have some stuff in common. They all believe in one God. Um, They all believe that God created a perfect world and that we messed it up, that people, humanity messed it up. And this is what Nikki was talking about last week. Um, It's not that we just like accidentally messed up or we just made one mistake that we didn't mean to. Um, Nikki talked about that we're sinners, meaning we make the same mistakes over and over again Um, We often do things on purpose, and that doesn't mean we're just mistakers. That means we're sinners. And all three major faith traditions believe that God created something good, created the world good, um, and because people are sinners, we screwed it up. And now there's another thing these three major faith traditions, Islam, Judaism, and Christianity, intersect on, and that is that God began to correct what people had messed up through this guy named Abraham. Now, after Abraham is where these um, faith traditions kind of start going in different directions, but they really all look to Abraham as like a father or a founder, um, someone that God began to interact with to correct this sin problem. And God began to address the messiness of sin through a conversation with Abraham. And in just a little bit, we're going to open our Bibles to the book of Genesis to read this really important conversation that's recorded between God and Abraham. Um, Because this is a conversation that touches on attention a lot of us have felt when it comes to our faith, and it addresses a question a lot of us have asked. And that question is, where do I stand with God? It's kind of like asking, okay, God, like, are we good? Um, Do you really care about me? Do you really care about my future? Do you even hear my prayers? How do we know where we stand with God? That's a pretty big question. But before we look at this conversation, Genesis, I want to tell you a story that I think is going to help you understand why God started to um, address some of this sin stuff out through Abraham. 
So I have two sisters, an older sister and a younger sister. I'm the middle child. Any other middle children in the room? I know. I empathize with you guys. It's not been easy. Um, when my sisters and I were little, we liked to play this game in our basement where we would pretend like the ground, the carpet, was hot lava and you can't step on it. Anybody else do something like that? Okay, good, I'm not alone. So we would throw like pillows and couch cushions all over the floor, and I think someone's usually it and trying to tag you, and you're just like running all over the place trying not to touch the hot lava. And there was one night when we were doing this, and we were just hyper. We were bouncing off the walls. We were just running all over our basement, um, avoiding the hot lava. And my younger sister, Caitlin, decided to get creative and use a bookshelf, a bookcase, to get from one spot to the next. So she was probably like five years old, pretty little, and she was standing on like the armchair, or the arm part of a chair, and she like reached up to grab hold of this top shelf, and she went to step on another shelf, and I think you know where I'm going, this did not work out for her because the top shelf that she grabbed just collapsed onto the next shelf, which collapsed onto the next shelf, which collapsed onto the next shelf, and all this stuff just goes crashing to the ground. My sister, the bookshelves, um, there were picture frames that got broken, there were all these old trophies of my dad that all got busted, um, little figurines, all those random things you have on shelves just came crashing down on top of her, and my older sister and I just froze. My parents, of course, come running into the room because of this ridiculous crash they heard, and they see my five-year-old sister just in the middle of a broken mess. Now, would any of you believe me if I said that my parents just stood there, um, maybe crossed their arms, and they just like pointed their finger at my sister and said, I can't believe you did that. Serves you right. You're going to stay there until you figure out how to clean up this mess. I don't think you guys would buy it if I said that's what my parents did. But some of us actually see God that way. And we think that's how God looks at us and responds to us when he sees us in the middle of our sin and the middle of our mess. Some of us think that when God sees the damage that we've done and he sees us in the middle of some pretty painful consequences that he just points his finger at us and says, clean it up. Or maybe he walks away and says, call me when you've got it all figured out. Now, my parents didn't do this. They didn't cross their arms and point their fingers at my sister, at their daughter, their five-year-old daughter. They rushed in out of concern, and they saw my sister in the middle of a mess, and she's upset, and she's visibly hurt. And they kind of pick their way through the mess. They pick her up. You know, they carry her out. They clean her up. Um, I will say they were not like super pleased with us later for destroying the basement, but in the moment, they acted out of compassion and caring for my sister, despite the huge mess we made. And God doesn't point his finger at us, and he doesn't turn his back on us. Um, God has more compassion than my parents, and when God looked at the world and he saw the destruction and the damage of sin, he made a choice to have a starting point so that he could begin to rescue his people. And Abraham was that starting point for God to wade into the mess of sin. And again, this is something these three major faith traditions um, agree on and believe in, that God decided to wade into this mess of a world through choosing Abraham to start his rescue plan. 
And it's not because Abraham was like so much better than everybody around him. He was a pretty normal guy. And we know this because we can actually read a lot about his life in the book of Genesis. And there are times when Abraham made really good decisions and made good choices for him and his family and the people around him. But then there's also a lot of times where he really screws up big time. And that's because Abraham's like you and me. He's a normal person. Um, He has problems and he has issues. But God had to start somewhere and he picked Abraham. So now I want you guys to grab your Bibles and we are gonna open up to Genesis chapter 12. And Genesis is super easy to find because it's the very first book of your Bible. um, The first book in what we would call the Old Testament. And we are opening up to chapter 12, so just a couple pages in. And we are going to start with verse 1. Everybody's got it. So Genesis chapter 12, verse 1, says, The Lord had said to Abram, which um, before Abraham became Abram, Before Abram became Abraham, um, this was his name. God changed his name, which I know is a little strange, but it's something God does. So the Lord has said to Abram, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. So these are instructions that God is giving to Abraham. And what you need to know is Abraham and his wife Sarah are pretty old at this time. Um, They didn't have any kids And God is basically saying to Abraham, I am going to start over and I'm going to do something new. Um, This is going to be something that's going to impact the whole world. And these are my instructions. Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. And then God made Abraham three really important promises. Right there in verse 2, which is a great verse to highlight if you guys have a highlighter um, or underline it. It says, I will make you into a great nation. Big promise. The pretty incredible thing is we actually know today that this promise came true. Now there's disagreement about what nation is actually being talked about here because the nation of Israel would say, like, they're being talked about here, and other Arab nations in the Middle East believe that they are being talked about here by God. Um, But whichever nation it is, there's no doubt that great nations came from the line of Abraham. So we know today that this promise came true. The second promise follows right in there after verse 2. It says, and I will bless you, I will make your name great. So here's how we know if this came true. Um, Has anybody heard about Abraham before tonight? Can I get a raise of hands, raise them high? Oh my gosh, that's a lot of people. So a lot of you heard about Abraham before tonight, and I would say there's a lot of other people in the world who have heard about Abraham, and I heard about Abraham as a little kid in church. I didn't hear about him the first time preparing for tonight, Um, and even before tonight, because I heard about Abraham so many times um, in church, I probably could have given you a pretty decent summary of some events that happened in his life, and I could have told you a little bit about his family because I heard about Abraham a number of times before tonight. Um, and so if all of you raised your hand in this room, um, I would say this promise came true, that Abraham's name has been made great. Um, the third promise God made, following right along in there, verse 3, I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And here's the promise, the important part. 
and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So again, all these um, three faith traditions that kind of claim Abraham as their founder, Islam, Judaism, and Christianity, they lay claim to this promise and say they have been blessed through the line of Abraham um, and that they have blessed the world. And I say that because if you think about for a moment, there are a lot of organizations that come from these faith traditions. There are a lot of like organizations that serve people and help people. Hospitals have been started in the name of these religions. Um, Orphanages, um, there's like national disaster relief that is started in the name of these traditions. Um, There are a lot of uh, organizations and people that do services for other people because of these faith traditions. And because of that, I think we can say this promise has come true, that people have been blessed through Abraham. And the thing that's pretty incredible about this is these are old, these are ancient promises that we can look at our world today and say have come true. Um, That's a pretty significant thing. So that was kind of our history lesson for the night, and here's where it starts to get a little bit more personal. Because these promises were given to Abraham, but they didn't immediately come true. So Abraham, like I said, he was already pretty old. Him and his wife were pretty old when God made these promises to him. And years passed, and nothing much seemed to happen. So Abraham and his wife are getting older, and they still don't have any kids. So they don't understand how nations are going to come from their family line if they don't have any children. And Abraham's struggling, and he is wondering if these promises are really going to happen And I think at this point, it wasn't even so much about the promises anymore, but Abraham had been promised a child, and he wanted a family, and he wanted a son, and he had been holding on to hope for a lot of years that this was going to happen. And years later, it wasn't. So Abraham's hope is starting to get a little bit lost, and Abraham starts to pray out of desperation, like a lot of people do. And here's what the writer of Genesis tells us. Open your Bibles again. Hopefully you kind of kept your finger in it to Genesis chapter 15, which is just like on the next page. And we're actually going to start in verse 2 here. Verse 2 says, But Abram, Abram said, Sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless, and the one who will inherit my estate is Eleazar of Damascus? And Abram said, you have given me no children, so a servant in my household will be my heir. Abraham's just like, still no kids, God, and I'm getting older, and I don't know how much time I have on this earth, and all I have is a servant um, to pass everything I have onto. Then in verse 4, God responds, says, the word of the Lord came to him, this man will not be your heir, but a son who is your own flesh and blood will be your heir. And he took him outside, and he said, Look up at the sky and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. Then he said, So shall your offspring be. So God is asking Abraham to trust him in something that is really hard for Abraham to understand. God is once again promising a family that is going to turn into a people group that is just going to continue on into so many people that you can't even keep count of them. He's not telling Abraham the details. He's not telling him the time frame, which definitely would have made things a whole lot easier. He is making a promise, and he is asking Abraham to trust him. And then God makes a really important statement. 
And this statement is pretty short and sweet, and I have read over it a number of times and not understood the significance of it. And I think other people have done the same. And this statement is really important because um, with it, God is kind of for the first time explaining the nature of the relationship between God and man and what that looks like. So God is answering the question, how do I know where I stand with God with this statement with Abraham? And that's in verse 6, which is a great one to highlight. It says, Abram believed the Lord, and he credited it to him as righteousness. That's it, super short. Abram believed the Lord, and he credited it to him as righteousness. So in that moment of saying Abram believed, it's like Abraham saying, okay, I don't understand how these promises are going to come true, but I'm going to trust you, God. And then in that moment, God credited to Abraham a righteous standing with God, which is God saying to Abraham, I accept you because you believed and you trusted in me. So it seems that trusting in God resulted in a right standing with God. And a right standing with God meant Abraham and God were good. Nothing was going to change that within their relationship. And so the way I think we can enter into a right relationship with God is through trust, just like Abraham. Man, that's simple and easy to say. And a lot of people have messed this up, and I've messed this up in my own life, and a lot of times we make it seem so much more complicated than that, but I really believe that it's through trust that we can begin that relationship and be in a right standing with God. So all we have to do is the same thing that Abraham did. Abraham said, this is hard to believe, but I'm going to trust that what you say is true and that you're going to do what you promised to do in my life. So what if a starting point for a relationship with God is simply trust? So simple, so easy to say, but you and I both know, um, man, that seems hard and it seems difficult because of things we've been told, because things we've experienced in our own life. It seems so much more complicated than that, but what if the starting point for a relationship with God is really that, is as simple as trusting him? I hope you all do some more um, thinking about this throughout the week. I know some of you might think, um, I've not answered enough questions for you, or maybe you're just thinking it's actually not that simple because you've tried. So I want you guys to come back next week because Bradley Reese is going to be teaching, and he's going to add another piece um, to this idea of restarting our faith, and he's going to be talking more about what it means to trust God, because I really believe that trust is the answer. So would you guys pray with me? God, it really does seem more complicated than that, and I know we have all just experienced things in our lives that make trust just not seem simple, um, but a relationship with you is the only place we can receive that incredible, unconditional love. Um, so I know you are worth trusting in. Um, God, as we are just going about our life, help us think about this and have conversations about this and have hope in trusting in you um, and knowing that, wow, we can have a right relationship with you that isn't going to change, um, that your love is never going to change for us. Just thank you that we can be together here tonight, um, that we can praise you, that we can worship you, cry out to you, 
Thank you for this group of people, God, for this community. And help us just keep learning more about this week to week. Help us learn how to trust you, um, how to restart our faith, God. Because I know that's what you want for us. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.